This is the Morning Rush. Coming up on today's show, the 85th edition of the Masters gets underway this morning. Where else but at Augusta? Yes, it is still being held in Georgia. We'll hear from Hampshire boys basketball coach Danny Alkire. The section playoff schedule is out for girls high school hoops in West Virginia. We'll take a peek at uh, those schedules and seedings and all that good stuff. We got some college hoops coaching news. One Big Ten coach gets extended while a Pac-12 coach gets the axe. All that and more uh, coming up in the next two hours of today's show. Good morning to you. How the heck are you? So glad to have you on board. So glad you could take some time to tune in and hang out. As we kick off yet another essential work day. Several ways to get involved on the show, as always, even though you don't take advantage of any of it. Hit me up on Twitter at ESPN Morning Rush or at Rush Tony C. Our Facebook page at Cumberland's ESPN Radio. Any of those pages are functional. They work. They're there. They're live on the interwebs. All you got to do is find them, like them, follow them, and feel free at any point. And I do mean any point. Doesn't even have to be while the show's on the air. Anytime you feel like it. It could be now, it could be an hour from now, it could be eight hours from now. Anytime you feel like it, get involved. Got a question, maybe a something you'd like to talk about on the show, something you'd like for me to bring up on the show, or a comment, or an opinion, or if you just want to say, what's up? Any of those pages will do. Again, on Twitter, at ESPN Morning Rush. I think you, you, you see where I'm getting at today, don't you? At Rush Tony C, Facebook page, at Cumberland's ESPN Radio. Also, taking your calls on the Rush line. That phone line does still work. It does still function. There is still a dial tone when I pick it up. 301-759-2628. Your chance, same chance you have every single day, to dial and dance. Shamal, 301-759-2628. And, of course, our podcast page on the free Podbean app where we upload every show every day, take out all the commercials, we cut it up, we slice it up, we clean it up, we put a nice little bow on top just for you. So if you miss any part of the show, want to go back and check it out, It's right there. All you got to do is download that Podbean app on your phone or tablet or whatever device. And there it is. It's very convenient. It's all right there. It's literally all laid out for you. I'm a bit on the bitter side today, in case you can't tell. It's going to be a fun two hours. I'm going to tell you that. All right, let's kick off today's show as we kick off every show. With a rock around the region. I want to rock! 
And we start with Major League Baseball, where the Cisco kid came through for those Oreos. 2-1. Cisco swings, golfs a pitch into shallow left field. Charging in comes Brett Gardner. He can't pick it up. Rio Ruiz scores easily. Orioles reclaim the lead. 4-3 in the 11th. The call won 105-7 the fan. I actually had to go and check to see what station, like, what home station was that? Was that the Orioles station? Was that the Yankees uh, call? And it turns out that was actually the Orioles call. Top of the 11th, Chan Sisko, RBI single, to give the Orioles a 4-3 lead and eventually the win over the hated Yankees in the Bronx. That snapped a 12-game losing streak against the Yankees in the Bronx. Okay? It's a single and a top of the 11th to give the team the lead. 2-1. Cisco swings, golfs a pitch into shallow left field. Charging in comes Brett Gardner. He can't pick it up. Rio Ruiz scores easily. Orioles reclaim the lead. 4-3 in the 11th. Can we have a little bit of excitement here? Can we have a little bit of emotion? Can we have – seriously, I didn't know who the call was. I thought when I first heard it, this is no lie, I thought that was the Yes Network. I thought that call right there was from the Yankees broadcast. Can we have a little bit of – raise your voice a bit. Have a little fun with it. I mean, this is top of the 11th. It's an RBI single. It took the lead. And, and, she, and it's called like eh. – like it's it's a it's a a second inning foul ball. Anyway, Cedric Mullins and Anthony. I told you I'm bitter today. It's strap in because it's going to be a long two hours. Uh, Cedric Mullins and Anthony Santander homeward for the O's, who avoided the three game sweep. Baltimore will play its home opener this afternoon against the Red Sox at three o five. Elsewhere, the Nationals lost both ends of a a doubleheader against Atlanta yesterday. Braves took the opener 7-6 for their first win of the season. Trey Turner hit his second homer of the season for Washington. In the nightcap, the Nats managed just two hits and lost 2-0. Pablo Sandoval, who, yes, is still playing, hit a two-run homer in the seventh were the only runs of the game. And remember, uh, Major League Baseball made the dumb decision to keep doubleheaders uh, seven innings. So, there you go. His home run came in the seventh. And they win the game 2-0, and they sweep the doubleheader. And in Cincinnati, the Reds hit four home runs to blow out the Pirates again, 11-4, and complete the three-game sweep. Only highlight of the day for Pittsburgh, Eric Gonzalez hit a grand slam in the ninth inning. Pirates have now lost five straight, and they were outscored in the three-game series 30-8. to eight. Repeat that for you. 30-8 to eight in a three-game series, which means the Reds scored on an average of 10 runs Again, in the NBA, Bradley Beal returned from a five-game absence to score 26 points and help the Wizards uh, beat the Magic 131-116 in Orlando. Russell Westbrook messed around again, 
and recorded his 20th triple-double of the season. 23 points, 15 assists, 14 rebounds. As Washington made a season-best 19 three-pointers and snapped a four-game losing streak. In college basketball, Maryland and head coach Mark Turgeon agreed to a contract extension through the 2025-26 season. Uh, Maryland is two, or what is that? I almost said 2,000. That'd be incredible. 221 and 113 during Turgeon's 10 seasons in College Park, uh, making the NCAA tournament in half of those 10 seasons. And tonight on the ice, the Penguins are on the road again to take on the Rangers at MSG, and the Capitals are hosting the Bruins. And that is... Your Rock Around the Region brought to you by the Caporale Group. So today is, and before I even start, it's just, it's day four, right? This is Thursday. It is day four of uh, my ear infection. And let me just say, uh, I, I want to cut off the left side of my head. That, that's where I'm at right now. I just want to just, like the whole ear, maybe a part, just digging in a little bit. Like the left side of my face, I just want it gone. This this thing is so painful. And it, it's even though I'm, I'm medicating, and it's four days, it's not getting any better. It's part. It's, it's one of the reasons, not the only reason. One of the reasons why I'm so aggravated and and just annoyed today. Because it, it's just not. It's not letting me. It's like you have an ear infection. You have a a backache. You know what I mean? If you have a bad back, you know, like there are certain things that you have that completely throw you off the rest of your game. There are certain ailments, nagging injuries, call it what you want, that just ruin your day, right? I've had back issues for a long time, all right? I've had back surgery the whole nine. And if you have back problems, if you're listening right now, you know what I'm talking about. Like when your back hurts, Everything hurts. Like when your back is out of whack, you don't want to do anything. It, it throws everything off. With the, with the ear thing, it's the same way. Because I got, you know, like 14 pounds of cotton shoved down in the ear region, the canal. I got eardrops in there. I can't hear out of that ear. I hear my, my own voice in my head is, is resonates. The damn thing hurts. I'm like a, I'm like a, 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 like an injured animal in the wild, right? Like the last thing you want to do is come across like, yeah, you know, just an angry, annoyed animal in the wild, right? You got a like a lion with a thorn in its paw, right? It's just ready to pounce at any second. That's how I feel. It would probably serve most people best to stay out of my way today. Fair enough. But please call the show and we'll discuss. So uh, this morning, I need a vacation is what I need. That's not even a lie. I need a vacation. I need to get away. That's what I need. Like I don't even need, like I don't even care where I go. Like, you ever get that way? Did you ever reach a point? Some, and I know it's only April, but you ever reach a, a, a certain time in the year where it's just like, man, I got I to gotta be somewhere else. You know what I mean? 
Like, I don't even know. I could just, I don't know, drive, get in a car and just drive somewhere. As long as I'm not here. Like, you know what I mean? That, that's, how, that's how I feel. As long as I'm not, I just need a change of scenery for three or four days. I need to be around other people. I need to be somewhere else but where I'm at. I need, to go, I need a vacation. I need a vacation. As simple as that. So maybe I go to Augusta. That, that's, that would have been a good idea. I don't know. I probably couldn't get in. That would have been a good place to go, get in the car, head south. This morning, 8 o'clock, less than about 45 minutes from now, the Masters returns to where it belongs, or I should say when it belongs. Michael Thompson and Hudson Swafford will tee off to begin the 85th edition of the Masters at Augusta National. And again, it's back to the first full week of April, where it has been forever. Last year, of course, it was moved to the fall because of the pandemic. Dustin Johnson, he is the defending champ. He'll be teeing off at 1030 with Lee Westwood and amateur Tyler Strafacci. I don't know if it's pronounced that way. It's spelled that way. So I have to be I had to put the Italian twist on it. Johnson trying to become just a fourth golfer to win back-to-back Masters titles, uh, joining Jack Nicholas, Nick Faldo, and Tiger Woods. Now, one thing Johnson will have to do that those other guys didn't is win those two straight Masters in the span of just five months. Marty Smith says Johnson's plan is simple, and that is well, to keep it simple. With Dustin, he keeps it pretty simple and fundamental. It's hit ball, find ball, hit ball again. And I know that sounds elementary, but he is so focused on making sure that it is process over outcome, and it's been so successful for him. Look, the thing about the Masters for Dustin, he understands what it takes to win it now. He acknowledges that, but that's not any more pressure. He said, yeah, I won the Masters, but that was five months ago. The conditions promised to be extremely different this time around. It's extremely firm, extremely fast. That was not the case in November. And I asked him, what's it going to take for you to be uh, on that list with Nicholas and Faldo and Woods as the only back-to-back winners in the history of the tournament? And he said, I'm going to have to play four really good, really good rounds of golf. It's going to take a great week for him to, uh, to join that list, Sage. For sure. Just over three weeks ago, let's talk about Brooks Kepka because less than a month since he had surgery with a dislocated right kneecap ligament damage, too. So, Marty, it sounds like it would be extremely challenging for him to come and truly compete there at Augusta. What is he facing on such a short turnaround from the surgery? Sage, he's saying that his game feels good, but as you know, having been here, one thing that you cannot grasp unless you've walked the grounds uh, in person is how steep the undulations are. The inclines and the declines are quite steep. It's going to be difficult for Brooks on those declines as he's walking the course throughout the tournament. It's also going to be difficult for him when he's hitting out of a bunker and when he's hitting off of pine straw. The rehab that he's undergoing is extensive. He told us before his round on Monday, his practice round on Monday, he spent three hours getting the knee ready, and then he wasn't done that day until 12.30 in the morning on Tuesday. 
So what is his concern over the next several days as we enter tournament play? He goes, I don't really have any concern. He goes, it's what I'm faced with. It's what I got to do. So I'll just go do it. One thing about him that's indisputable, that dude is extremely tough. And this is the type of challenge from which he thrives. Mm -hmm. So it'll be interesting to see how he overcomes that. I like Johnson's approach there. Hit it, find it, and hit it again. It's very, it's very similar to my approach, except I have a hard time finding my ball. <laughs> I hit it, try to find it, drop another one, and then hit it again. That's, that's generally how my round goes. Now, as far as the difference between this year's Masters and last year's, uh, Michael Collins says players are trying to act like November never happened because it's not even the same course. Every single golfer that I've spoken to, and caddies as well, is like, everything you saw in November, yeah, throw that out the window. Throw it out the window. Don't even start there. And guys are actually trying to forget how the golf course played in November because it's not going to play anything like that. Some of the guys that I spoke to also said that this is the crispiest that they've seen the greens, meaning hard and firm, during practice rounds in years and years and years. So now there is some weather that might be in the forecast coming in late Thursday night, maybe Friday, but expect on Thursday, there aren't going to be guys out there shooting 65 or 64 because this golf course is playing so firm and so fast that those scores probably aren't going to be out there. And Augusta National is fine with that. Augusta National is fine with the fact that, oh, yeah, you got us in November, but Mother Nature helped you. And guess what you ain't doing? That again. (laughs) So definitely a different, as you would expect. Everybody kind of you know tends to think that uh, you know you go the further south you go, the more the weather stays the same. And it's not true. They have seasons as well. So the course definitely different now in April as opposed to November, and it just makes total sense. Players just need to forget about that. Forget about what they played on in November. It's not the same thing. And he's what's the word he used there? Crispiest? Is that a word? Crispest? Crispiest. The greens were the crispiest <laughs> that they've been in years. Never quite heard uh, greens described as crispiest, unless, of course, uh, they're made on a stove, which I'm not a fan of uh, anyway. So, course, much different. Going to be much more difficult, especially in uh, today's round. Don't expect too many low scores today. And maybe as, of course, you know, the rounds go on, they get more accustomed to the course, obviously we'll see scores start to drop as we get into the weekend. So, again, first round teeing off just about 39 minutes from now. There is one big name. Missing from this year's field. And of course, we know who it is. And we'll talk about that next. Stick around. 102.1 FM, AM 1230, Cumberland's ESPN Radio. This is the Morning Rush. Morning Rush, Rod. That's an appropriate song for the way I feel today. Break away from everybody. Your boy needs a vacation. Your boy needs a getaway. Rush line is open, 301-759-2628. We're talking Masters 
85th edition. Going to tee off a half hour from now in its normal time slot, the first full week of April. And of course, uh, one big name missing from this year's field is Tiger Woods. As he continues to recover from that accident in February, terrible accident, Justin Thomas, who has the uh, next-to-last tee time today with uh, Louis Oosthaven and Tony Finau at the 148, said he's been in touch with Tiger, and reality is really kind of set in for everyone that, that Woods won't be in Augusta this year. I went over and saw him a couple times last week, and I've tried to just go over a couple times during the week whenever I'm home and see him. And, yeah, I, he, he texted Freddie and I this morning saying it, I think it's kind of starting to set in. He's he's bummed he's not here playing practice with us, and, and we hate it too. And let's be real, uh, Tiger Woods isn't the Tiger Woods of old. But it's always better when he's around. It's always more interesting when he's around. He still brings eyes and ears to whatever tournament he's playing in. He's no longer the dominant force that he used to be on the course. All the, you know, we all the way back to the, <laughs> the self-inflicted troubles. Then all the physical issues. But it's, it's just, it's more interesting when he's around. It just gives you another reason to pay attention, to see if he can somehow, some way, uh, catch lightning in the bottle and revert back to that dominant tiger of old, right? But this year he's not here. Ian Fitzsimmons says that just because Tiger isn't in this year's field, it doesn't mean we can't still enjoy the tournament. For the, is there going to be another Tiger? No, but we didn't think there would be another Jack in our lifetime. And Tiger went above and beyond. I still think Jack is the greatest to ever play, but Tiger did more for the game. There's no doubt. And, yeah. and there is a difference. Yes. You know, and mm. so everyone yeah. just kick back, enjoy the moment, enjoy yeah. the tournament. It is a tradition like no other. It's the just not going to have yeah. that, that Tiger man out there. I remember – when I got married, it was Tiger's first, his first Masters championship when he absolutely blew away the field. I mean, blew it away, which reminds me, I need to mark that down. It's, it's, uh, that's four days from now, my anniversary. I got to make sure <laughs> I make sure that's uh, taken care of. But our, it was a Saturday. It was a Saturday of his first Masters title when he beat everybody by like 85 strokes. And we were so caught up. The place we had our wedding reception had a uh, had like a, a bar off of the bar. And in that back bar, there was a TV. And so many people were just fascinated, just glued to the TV, watching Tiger just, just mow down the competition. Kind of had to remind myself every now and then that, hey, uh, it was my wedding day. Because everybody was just gathered around. That that was the, the draw. That was the force that Tiger Woods was. When he first hit the scene, he exploded onto the scene and just blew the competition away. That's the draw that he – he's still kind of that draw, but for a different reason. 
Now I think it's more uh, for curiosity's sake. We want to see what kind of Tiger we're going to get. But, man, he was so good. When he was great, he was the greatest. One of the greatest. What? It's debatable. Now, in another bit of, of Tiger news, uh, yesterday, authorities revealed the reason behind that crash in February that led to, of course, uh, the serious leg injuries and multiple surgeries for Tiger. With more, here's ESPN's Michelle Steele. Excessive speeding was to blame for Tiger Woods' February 23rd crash. The L.A. County Sheriff saying Woods was going over 80 miles per hour in a 45-mile-an-hour zone when he lost control of his SUV. The primary causal factor for this traffic collision was driving at a speed unsafe for the road conditions and the inability to negotiate the curve of the roadway. Estimated speeds at the first area of impact were 84 to 87 miles per hour. And the final estimated speed when the vehicle struck the tree was 75 miles per hour. The sheriff's department was able to gather precise details from a data recorder installed in the 2021 Genesis GV80 SUV Woods was driving at the time. It showed that Woods hit the accelerator instead of the brake as he struck a raised median and crossed two lanes of traffic before uprooting a tree. There was no evidence of braking throughout this collision. It is speculated and believed that Tiger Woods inadvertently hit the accelerator instead of the brake pedal. There was no evidence of any impairment. There was no odor of alcohol. There were no open containers in the vehicle. And there were no narcotics or any evidence of medication uh, in the vehicle or on his person. Citing no probable cause, investigators did not seek out a search warrant for Woods to be screened for drugs or alcohol, nor did they check his cell phone. Woods remains in Florida, recovering from serious leg injuries. So my man was just rolling. That's what it boils down to. And whenever the story first broke back in February, and we talked about it here on the show, my first thought went to, was he on something? I think a lot of people's first thought was, was he on something? Because of the history that was there. Turns out he wasn't. Turns out, He was rolling. He was pushing mid-80s in a 45. Don't know if he was late. Don't know if that's just the way he drives. No idea. And that stretch of road out there in uh, California or Florida, I can't remember now. I think it was Cali. That particular stretch of road known for accidents because of the downhill Slope and navigating the turns and whatnot. So Tiger was just flying. He was speeding. So let that be a lesson to you kids. Uh, Speed kills. Slow down. Respect the speed limit. Observe the speed limit. And drive the limit. Or maybe five over. That's okay. Now, back to the players who will actually be taking part. In this year's Masters, defending champ Dustin Johnson and Bryson DeChambeau are odds on favorites at uh, plus 950 or 19 to 2 odds. Jordan Spieth and Justin Thomas are right behind them at plus 1100 or 11 to 1. John Rahm, who just, uh, he and his wife just had a, a newborn, uh, new father John Rahm, is plus 1200 or 12 to 1. 
then Rory McIlroy at plus 1,900, and Patrick Cantlay at plus 2,200. So, as we get closer and closer to tea time, about 22 minutes away, who wins this year's Masters? Let's go to the guys at PTI. I root for Rory. I root for Spieth. I root for Justin Thomas. I like them. I don't know them. I just like the way they play. I like the way they carry themselves. I've never been a big Dustin Johnson fan because I have no sense of his personality, Mike. But if I'm telling you the truth, I want to see DeChambeau kill it. I want to see DeChambeau because for whatever criticisms are out there of him, he's the most spectacularly entertaining player to me. And I think he hangs over golf like a sword. And I'm, I am very interested in seeing what he can do. Maybe you and I should have a little side bet, because I'm going to take the guy who's most opposite DeChambeau, and that is Colin Morikawa, who we have seen win okay. a major, who we have seen win. Right. And, Tony, it's putting. It's, it's, it's short game. It's greens and regulation. It's iron play. Morikawa is spectacular in that way, and it's putting. So I, I don't see DeChambeau as lording over the field at this venue, at Augusta National. He won the U.S. Open. I get it. That also requires just unbelievable skill in a variety of areas. I'm not trying to diminish DeChambeau, but at Augusta National, I'm going to have a little side bet with you and say Morikawa will finish higher than DeChambeau okay. when it comes by okay. and here's, Sunday. And here's what the side bet will be for. A pimento okay. cheese sandwich for a couple of dollars. <laughs> because we've both been there. We've stood yep. on a tee at 12 and felt the fear. We know yes. what the course looks like. Everybody in America knows at least a back nine from all these years. This is the beginning of spring. This is it. When the Masters goes on and, and it's joyful. Yeah. It's a joyful thing I'm to thrilled. watch. I can't wait for tomorrow, Tony. I can't wait for tomorrow. You'll be playing. I'll yep. be watching. How about that? Tomorrow, of course, uh, is today. And we'll try to keep you posted on any scoring updates once the Masters get started. Again, about 20 minutes from now. We got a pair teeing off, and then after that, it's uh, three guys uh, per group. Now, you can't really talk about the Masters. You can't really talk about Augusta National without talking about Georgia. Because Georgia has been in the news a lot lately. Because of the new voting laws because of Major League Baseball's boneheaded decision to move the All-Star game out of Atlanta and move it to Colorado. So it was going to come up eventually. It was going to be a topic eventually about Augusta, about the Masters, being in Georgia, and the new voting laws. And Masters chairman Fred Ridley had uh, this to say about it. I believe, and I'm confident that every member of this club believes, that voting is an essential, fundamental right in our society. As I stated, that, that any, anything that disadvantages anyone to vote is wrong and should be addressed. I'm not going to speak to the specifics of the law, but I do know that I, th- I think there's a resolution, and I think that resolution is going to be based on people working together and talking and having constructive dialogue because that's the way our democratic society works. And while I know you would like to, for us to make a proclamation on this, I just don't think that is going to be helpful to ultimately re- reaching a resolution. And so we would like to encourage people to talk, to communicate, 
to let the democratic process work. And hopefully these fundamentals that I've stated are so important to us. And I think everyone in this room can be achieved. That is what you call dancing around the subject. That is giving an answer that answers absolutely nothing. That's what we call dancing between the raindrops. That is skirting around the issue. That was good. That was good. We're not going to make a proclamation on it. We're not going. To, we're going. To, we're not going to confirm or or condemn anything. We're not going to take sides. We just know that everybody should be allowed the opportunity to vote, and we hope it all works out. That was actually pretty impressive. To answer that question on that subject without really saying anything at all. Can't really blame him, tell you the truth. (laughs) Don't want to dive into that pool. Don't want to kick that hornet's nest, although I don't know, it'd be pretty hard to kick a hornet's nest, but I don't know. All right, uh, time for a break. When we come back, we'll wrap up our number one. Stick around. 102.1 FM, AM, 1230 Cumberland's ESPN Radio. This is the Morning Rush. Wrapping up our number one. Rush line is open, 301-759-2628. I got the call yesterday. Actually, it was an email. I, uh, I'm now lined up, scheduled for my second COVID vaccine shot. And it can't get here soon enough. It absolutely, positively cannot get here soon enough. Now, I know it takes, what, like two weeks after the second shot to really, you know, become fully vaccinated, I guess. But that's okay. I, I just I want to get I want to get it over with. Now I know even after you get the shots, you still got to do the whole mask and distance and all that crap we've been doing for the past year plus. But I'm gonna feel a whole lot better about things once I get that get that shot, second shot. And I would encourage anybody. Now it's become more and more available around the region, to go get your shots. Go get them. If you want any kind of return to normalcy sooner rather than later, I encourage you, go get vaccinated. Go get the COVID vaccine. Uh, Earlier in the hour, we were talking about the Pirates. Uh, Boy, oh boy, let me tell you something. Not only... Are the Pirates going to be bad this year? I think we already knew that. But they may be historically bad. Right? They This may be, when all said and done, one of the worst Pirates teams we'll ever see. In the 134-year history of this franchise, this might be one of the worst ever. Now, I know it's a small sample size. I understand it's only six games in. But they're pathetic. They are worse than I thought they would be. Again, I know it's a rebuild. I get it. They tore it all down. I had to see a picture yesterday on the socials 
of Jamison Tyone and Garrett Cole standing side by side in the Yankees dugout. Almost, almost puked on myself. Almost. Bleh. I get it. I saw Joe Musgrove was fantastic in his first start with the Padres. Josh Bell is going to do great things with the Nationals once he comes off the injured list. You knew it was going to be a bad season. But my goodness. They won their first game against the Cubs, and they haven't won since. And it's not even, they're not even competitive. Like yesterday, I, I forgot that they played in the afternoon. It was an afternoon game. I think it was a 12, 12.30 start. So I, I leave here, I get home, I eat lunch. I'm just about ready to lay down for my afternoon uh, nap. I was like, oh, I was like, that's right. Pirates are on this afternoon. Why I was so excited about it, I have no idea. I turn on the game, it's already 5 nothing. It's already 5 nothing. And I don't even think it was the second inning yet. And I was like, well, time to go to sleep. They were outscored in that series against the Reds, 30-8. to 30-8. Buster Olney, as if I couldn't feel any worse about the Pirates until I, you know, then I saw Buster uh, tweeted out a couple hours ago. Week one run differentials. The Reds, because they played the Pirates, they're number one in Major League Baseball. They have a plus 31 run differential. The Pirates, next to last, they have a minus 25. Thank goodness that the Oakland A's exist. They just picked up their first win last night. They're now 1-6. Their run differential is minus 36. The Pirates check in at minus 25. Their pitching is horrible. They can't hit. Again, I knew they'd be bad this year. But this could actually be one of the worst teams. And, that, and, that's, and that's saying something. Trust me. As a guy who's been a Pirates fan since day one, since I was old enough to hold a baseball, know what baseball was, seen some bad Pirates teams, really bad. Whenever you have 20 straight losing seasons, you're going to see a couple, you know, really bad stinkers in there. This might be the worst of them all. And I didn't think, I thought they had a good spring. They're what, a game under 500? Caller, hold on. You know, we're up against the break. Let's go to the caller right now. Go ahead. Hey, it's Dwayne. What's up, Dwayne? Uh, I just wanted to mention, um, you was talking about stinker pirates. I'm an Orioles fan, so I've seen a bunch of things. Yeah. But uh, my daughter was two years old. The best thing that happened in that uh, Pittsburgh-St. Louis game was that she was on the Megatron up there at PNC Park. Other than that, there were so many errors and stupid bloopers. It's like a blooper reel. <laughs> like, I mean, I, I don't know what the final score was. I know St. Louis a lot, Pittsburgh not so much. 
but it, it looked ridiculous. Yeah. Like, infield, outfield, everything was atrocious. So if they're going to beat that team from 2005, uh, it, it's going to be a long season for you. Well, it's already a long season, and we're a weekend. All right, man. We'll see. All right, Dwayne. Thanks for the call. 301-759-2628. I'm going to have to go back and look at the 2005 season and see how, how they finish there. Yeah, we're a weekend. We're six games in, and it's already been, you know, it's already been a long season. I'm going to go back and compare and see the final record of the 2005 Pirates and see if this year's team can come close. And they probably can. And again... It's a rebuild, so you know it's going to be bad. You know the product is going to be worse than usual. But I did not expect this bad this soon. Anyway. All right, hour number one in the books. Will this year's Pirates be worse than the 2005 Pirates? We'll have to check it out during the break and come back and talk about it some more. Also, some high school hoops talk when we come back. We'll hear from Hampshire boys coach Danny Alkire, all that and more. Stick around. 102.1 FM, AM 1230, Cumberland's ESPN Radio. This is the Morning Rush. Also taking your calls on the Rush line, 301-759-2628. Your chance to dial and dance. Shamo. 301-759-2628. And, of course, our podcast page on the free Podbean app. You know the deal. We upload every show every day, minus commercials. Go back and check it out. You missed anything, it's all going to be right there. So if you missed the first hour of the show, we talked a lot of Masters. The 85th edition of the Masters getting underway uh, two minutes ago. And we'll try to keep you posted on any updated scores uh, in the next hour. Also talked the Pirates, or talked about the Pirates. How they could be, in my opinion, historically bad. Like one of the worst teams we've seen in the 134-year history of the franchise. Dwayne called in just before the break and brought up the 2005 Pirates. And I kind of checked them out during the last break. And we're going to look at that team in just a bit. My goodness. Dwayne wasn't lying. That was uh, that was a bad team. Still, though, maybe better than this year's team. But before we get to that, let's rock around the region. I want to rock right now. And we'll start with current Major League Baseball teams, where the Cisco kid came through for the Orioles. 2-1. Cisco swings, golfs a pitch into shallow left field. Charging in comes Brett Gardner. He can't pick it up. Rio Ruiz scores easily. Orioles reclaim the lead. 4-3 in the 11. The call on 105.7 The Fan. Again, would it be too much to ask for a little bit of enthusiasm on an RBI single in the top of the 11th against the hated Yankees? Would it be too much to ask for a little bit of, you know, Emotion. A Chan Cisco, an RBI single in the top of the 11th to give the Orioles a 4 3 win over the Yanks in the Bronx. Cedric Mullins and Anthony Santander homeward for the O's, who avoided the three game sweep. They snapped a 12 game losing streak at Yankee Stadium. Uh, Baltimore will play its home opener this afternoon against the Red Sox at 3 05. 
Elsewhere yesterday, the Nationals lost both ends of a doubleheader against Atlanta. Braves took the opener 7-6 for their first win of the season. Trey Turner hit his second homer of the season for Washington. In the nightcap, the Nationals managed just two hits and lost 2-0. Pablo Sandoval, yes, he is still playing, hit a two-run homer in the seventh for the only runs of the game. Now remember, uh, Major League Baseball, among its many dumb decisions lately, they kept the doubleheaders to seven innings this year. So that homer by Sandoval essentially came in the final inning of that second game. And in Cincinnati, the Reds hit four home runs to blow out the Pirates again, 11-4, and complete the three-game sweep. Eric Gonzalez hit a grand slam in the ninth inning for the Pirates, who have lost five straight and were outscored in the three-game series 30-8. In the NBA, Bradley Beal returned from a five-game absence to score 26 points, to help the Wizards beat the Magic 131-116 in Orlando, Russell Westbrook recorded his 20th double-double, I'm sorry, triple-double of the season, which I guess technically would also be a double-double. Uh, 23 points, 15 assists, and 14 rebounds as Washington made a season-best 19 three-pointers and snapped a four-game losing streak. In college hoops, Maryland and head coach Mark Turgeon agreed to a contract extension through the 2025-26 season. Maryland is 221 and 113 uh, during Turgeon's 10 seasons in College Park, making the NCAA tournament in half of those 10 seasons. And tonight on the ice, the Penguins are on the road to take on the Rangers at MSG. The Capitals are at home to take on the Bruins. And that is your Rock Around the Region brought to you by the Caporelli Group. All right. So I looked it up because Dwayne called in and brought up the 2005 Pirates. And I, he, he said he took his daughter to a game and there was just errors and it was a clown show and he couldn't imagine this year's team being worse than that year's team or that year's team. It's going to be close. Let's put it that way. Uh, During the last break, I went on uh, baseballreference.com, which is all those reference pages. The football reference, hockey reference, those are the pages to go for any information that you can possibly need. And I said last hour, the Pirates, I think, will not just be bad this season. They're going to be historically bad. Could be one of the worst teams in franchise history. So going back to 2005, the Pirates that year were 67 and 95. They finished sixth in the NL Central, dead last. Lloyd McClendon was the manager, and he didn't finish the season. He was fired. Of course, they were in PNC Park. They had an attendance of 1.8 million, which was a 16th out of 16 teams in the National League. Looking at the roster, the lineup for that team, it is pretty terrible. The catcher, well, of course, they had a couple catchers. They had Ryan Domit and Umberto Cota were the catchers. 
Daryl Ward. <laughs> Daryl Ward. Jose Castillo. Jack Wilson. Freddie Sanchez. He could hit. Freddie could hit. Outfield consisted of Jason Bay, Tyke Redman, and Matt Lawton. Oof. Then you go to your bench players, Rob McCoviak, Craig Wilson, Brad Eldred, Ty Wigington, Chris Duffy. Remember Nate McClough? He was on that 2005 team. Jose Batista. Remember the Pirates had him and traded him to the Blue Jays. A lot of people forget that. Batista got, you know, he was with the Pirates organization. They traded him to Toronto and he went off. They had Benito Santiago for a little bit that year. When you look at their rotation, Kip Wells, Mark Redman, Josh Fogg, David Williams, Oliver Perez, and Zach Duke. Their closer that year was Jose Mesa. That's that's a, that's a brutal that's a brutal top to bottom uh, roster in 2005. It's actually amazing they they won 65 games. I mean there are some decent ball. Jack Wilson was a decent shortstop. He really he really was. Freddie Sanchez, Jason Bay was he's a good ball player. But you got Daryl Ward playing first base for you. Who was their best pitcher? David Williams. I don't, even, I don't even remember David Williams. He was 10 and 11 that year. Oliver Perez was 7 and 5. Zach Duke was a rookie. He came up later. He was 8 and 2. So, point being, uh, Dwayne, maybe not too far off. That that 2005 team could be worse than this year's team. Although I will say, and again, small sample size, six we're six games in. That 2005 team won 67 games. Based on what I've seen so far, this year's team ain't winning 67. They're not. They they may actually win 59. They may be in the 50s when it's all said and done. That's how bad this team might be. Which goes against what I said. We were going over the win-loss totals or the win totals before the season started. And the Pirates were dead last at, I think it was 59 and a half. That was their Vegas projected win total. And I said, based on what I saw in the spring, which I know you can't go really off of that a lot, that I thought they were going to win, they were going to go over. That they were going to win mid-60s, right? Maybe even 70. I may be dead wrong. I may be dead wrong. I don't even know if they can get to 59 and a half. Again, based on what I've seen in the first week of the season. It's a long way to go. Who knows? Obviously, they're going to win, you know. And, and the general rule of thought is, when you're looking at Major League Baseball, there's 162 games, right? You automatically... Give a team 60 wins and 60 losses. 
automatically. You would think. You would think, unless you have teams as bad as the Pirates and the Orioles and the A's this year, the, the Tigers, you generally give teams right off the right out of the gate. They're gonna be have they're gonna win 60, they're gonna lose 60. And whatever happens in the remaining 42, is that right? Is my math right on that? Uh, 120, 42, 160. Yeah. That will determine who goes to the playoffs, who has a winning record, and who doesn't. That's usually how you do it. But the Pirates, you can't do that. You can't assume they're going to win 60 this year. Unless you're going to say, all right, they're going to win 60, they're going to lose 60, and they're going to lose the remaining 42. Just awful. Just awful. And then they have the nerve, they have the nerve to reach out to us to buy tickets. Because we had like a half season ticket package uh, a handful of years ago. And they got the nerve to call and email saying, hey, Pirates fans are returning to PNC Park. Buy your tickets today. For what? You going to give me a discount? Hmm? You going to give me a cut? You, you, what are you going to do? You going to let me pitch? You going to let me hit? I'm back clean up. I can come out of the bullpen. Can't do any worse. You're in a full and total rebuild. What you going to give me for the effort? What are you going? I'm going to pay for these tickets because today is, by the way, the home opener for the Pirates. They will have some fans in attendance. But you're going to clean out the cupboard. You're going to leave the kitchen bare and then hit me up. That's that's gotta be, it's gotta be. When you look at teams like the Bucks and the O's and the other teams that I've mentioned, that's gotta be one of the hardest jobs out there in sports is being a, a salesperson, a ticket person for those teams. Like, can you imagine? Can you imagine if you had to cold uh, cold call somebody and try to convince someone to buy tickets to a Pirates game? you imagine how many times those people get laughed at or hung up on or probably even worse, yelled at and screamed at and cussed at because the product is so terrible and has been for a long time? You got to feel bad for those people. They're trying to make a living. I get it. I wouldn't want to do it. I wouldn't want to try to convince anybody to put their hard-earned money on the table and buy tickets to see that garbage. Anyway, we'll see. Time will tell. Time will tell. Let's mark what it's today, uh, April 8th. We've got months to go. We'll see how it all unfolds and plays out. But I'm telling you right now, based on what I've seen, the first six games, first week of the season, this Pirates team could be historically bad. What I should have looked up, let's see here. What's the worst Pirates record ever? Uh, let's see here. Pirates have had, oh, this is great. This is a great way to start off the, the page here. Pirates have had several major periods of failure. That's <laughs> that's what it says. Right off, right off top of the page. The Pirates have had several major periods of failure. 
The franchise had a losing record every season from 1949 to 1957. In 1952, suffered the worst record by an established MLB franchise between 1936 and 2002. And remember, last year in the shortened season, they only won, like, what, 19 games? In 1917, the Pirates were 51 and 103. Could they possibly be that bad this year? 51 and 103. I don't know. I'm, maybe, I'm, I'll give them a little more credit than that. I, I, they got to win more than 51 games, but they're going to push it. I, I, I'll, I'll venture to, to put it out there right now that they will finish with one of the 10 worst records in franchise history based on what I've seen in the first week. They will finish with with one of the in the top ten worst records of all time for the Pirates. Fair enough. Okay, we'll mark it down and and we'll come back to it and we'll see what happens. All right, let's move on. I've 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 I've, I've talked enough about this terrible organization and this terrible team. Let's move on to uh, some high school hoops. Okay, and what we're going to do here is we'll do Alkire first, then we'll come back and talk about. Uh, we have some seedings and schedules for uh, the West Virginia uh, girls section playoffs in our area. Frankfurt, Hampshire, Kaiser, Petersburg. Okay. We'll get to that later. Right now, yesterday, if you heard the show, if you tuned in or check out the podcast page on the free Podbean app, by the way, we had Hampshire girls coach Julianne Buckley on the show because she talked with Brian Chase from our sister station, uh, 100.1 The Wolf, which is right down the hall from me. Brian caught up with boys coach Danny Alkire. So we have that now. Brian, good enough to do the interviews and share the audio with us. So here is, right now, Hampshire boy, very good season. Right now, undefeated in the section. Hampshire boys coach Danny Alkire with Brian Chase from the Wolf. We have Hampshire boys basketball coach, Mr. Danny Alkire. Coach, how you doing? Good, Brian. How you doing? Well, I'm, I'm doing well, and you guys are doing pretty good. You guys have an 8-4 and four record, a recent win over Trinity. Congratulations. Thank you. Yes, we, uh, we hosted Trinity last night. And we're uh, able to come out on top. 8-4 and four record. I think this is the best record you've had after 12 games since you've taken over as coach. What has been the biggest improvement from the beginning of this season, although a shortened season? it's Honestly, it's the continuity in the group and the boys. Uh, it's been a long time coming, but they're, they're understanding each other uh, more offensively and defensively, uh, being in the right position, helping each other out on the defensive end, understanding what the other guy's going to do on the offensive end. I'd say just the continuity overall is, is we're gelling together right now, and, and there's honestly no better time for this to be occurring. Talking to Hampshire boys basketball coach Danny Alkire. Now, a name that I find pop up in the scoring column, it seems like every time you guys are winning, is Drew Keckley. He had a big game the other night against Trinity. Has he really come on from the beginning of the season? Drew's uh, been doing great. He he started that even as a sophomore, playing a lot of minutes, six-man off the bench. As a sophomore, junior, he, he started to show what he's really capable of doing. And this year, he's just picked right up from last year and 
like you said, he had 22 uh, last night against Trinity. I think he had 14 the previous game against Berkeley. He's doing exceptional things on the on the offensive side of the ball and the defensive side of the ball. I mean, that doesn't go alone. It's, it's the other guys that are getting their shots, they're penetrating and kicking. So he, he's doing well, but he's, he's benefiting from the other guys stepping up as well. Now you guys are getting ready for the playoffs. Let's break down your, your schedule, at least what I have is your schedule. Thursday... You play home at wa- home against Washington, Saturday home against East Fairmont, and Monday against Frankfurt. Is that right? Yeah, we have uh, Frankfurt at home next Monday. Then we actually travel to Trinity on Wednesday and then home to finish the season against Preston on Thursday. Five games left, and then we're talking about the playoffs. Might get a home game at the playoffs. Is that correct? It's, we have four teams in our section as opposed to the girls here. So we will have to play two sectional games regardless. Uh, it, it should be set up, and it's looking like we should have the home court advantage throughout. That, it's a huge benefit to have, and it's something that we've been wanting to get for the last three years to host a sectional game and the possibility of a regional game. And the way the cards are lined up right now, it, it's in our hands. We will find out next week, Monday or Tuesday, how the sectional seedings are, are laid out. Talking to Hampshire boys basketball coach Danny Alkire. How have the games been not as popular? attendance wise and does that affect you guys at all when as a player and even coaching i don't realize and, and see and hear what's in the stands during timeouts sometimes during free throws you'll notice it but in the in the mix of the game i don't think you really hear that as an opposing team come in i think they do notice that more talking to hampshire boys basketball coach danny alkire and coach some of your other seniors uh trevor zardo and christian hicks how has the leadership been overall on your team because it looks like a very veteran team maybe the most veteran team that you have had it absolutely is definitely the most veteran team six of our eight kids are seniors i keep telling everyone man our six seniors there is not a selfish kid on the team they all look out for each other they've been together for two to three years now here late in the season we've been noticing that more with their play and how unselfish they are and they're all stepping up you mentioned christian he's just he's such an athlete he gets up, he does, he cleans the boards for us, he puts them back. Carter Smith has stepped up tremendous this year. He He's such an offensive threat. He has made strides from his first year with me as a sophomore until this year. Trevor Sardo is just his speed, his athleticism, and his knowledge of the game. And then Damon Steinmetz is one that's been under the radar for uh, the last two years. But Damon's our defensive guy, man. If I need someone to go in and play defense, Damon's the guy. He's going in and, and doing what he does best and playing on the defensive end and shutting anyone down. And Makai, he, he is, again, another athlete. I don't know how many blocks I've seen Makai get this year where he is above the guy. His waist is at the guy's head, and he is, he's coming down with some boards. He's getting up and running the court. I can't say anything bad about our seniors and then our two juniors. They're just complimenting them well, man, and, and they know their role, and they've been doing well at that. And I can't say enough about how much I appreciate and how proud I am of them this year. And well, Coach Alkire, we wish you the best of luck the last five games of the season, and hopefully we can check in with you again right before the playoffs, and hopefully when we're talking about state tournament. Wouldn't that be nice? That is May 4th. That's, that's the date we're shooting for. That's the date we said from day one. That's where our eyes are headed, and we're trying to get to. So there you go. Hampshire head coach uh, Danny Alkire with uh, Brian Chase from uh, 100.1 The Wolf, our sister station down the hall here. And thanks to both of those uh, gentlemen for the audio. Hampshire in very good position. Five games left in the regular season. Right now still undefeated in the section to uh, have home court advantage in the section playoffs, which is huge. 
When we come back, we'll check out the girls' section playoffs and somebody who won't have home court advantage, even though they're the best team in the section. And I still don't know why. Stick around. 102.1 FM, AM 1230, Cumberland's ESPN Radio. This is the Morning Rush. Before we went to break, uh, we heard from Hampshire boys coach Danny Alkire, who was on with Brian Chase from our sister station, uh, 100.1 The Wolf. They were talking playoffs. Uh, the Hampshire boys in a really good position to have home court advantage in the section playoffs. Right now, they're undefeated in the section. The girls, the uh, seedings and schedules have been set for the girls' section playoffs in our area in uh, AAA uh, Region 1. North Marion was voted as the top seed by the coaches in the region. Again, we talked about this yesterday, and they have this voting process, which is uh, dumb, but that's just the way it is. Hampshire is the uh, top seed in Section 2 and the second overall seed in the region. So the Trojan girls rank pretty high uh, in that region right there. Kaiser is third in the region, followed by Weir, Wheeling Central, Oak Glen, and Berkeley Springs. Now, as we break it down into the sections, in Section 2, it's Hampshire, followed by Kaiser and Berkeley. So this coming Tuesday... Kaiser is hosting Berkeley Springs in just the one, because there's only three teams, just the one section semifinal. The loser is eliminated. Their season's over. Winner will move on to face the Hampshire girls in Romney next Friday. And, of course, the way the playoffs go in West Virginia, whoever plays in that section title game automatically qualifies for the region co-finals. On the other side of the region, in Section 1, North Marion, top seed. Then you have Weir, Wheeling Central, and Oak Glen. Now, because there are four teams in that section, as opposed to three in the other section, North Marion will have to host a semifinal game. They don't get the automatic buy right to the title game like Hampshire does. So North Marion will have to host Oak Glen on Tuesday. Weir will host Wheeling Central. Then the winners of those two games will meet at the highest remaining seed next Friday for the section championship. Now, dropping down to double A in Region 2, the Frankfurt girls, they are the top overall seed. With Petersburg finishing second, Trinity is third, followed by Braxton County, Moorfield, South Harrison, and Notre Dame. And again, as we break it down into the sections, in Section 1, Moorfield will play at Petersburg this Tuesday in the only semifinal. Again, there's only three teams. With the winner, and this is where things kind of go off the rails just a bit. The winner will take on number one Frankfurt at a neutral site. Why? Hell if I know. Apparently, 
there was a meeting and a vote took place before the season started. And that vote determined that the section title game would be played at the loser of the semifinal game. So let's just say, for an instance here, hypothetically, let's say Petersburg beats Moorfield on Tuesday. Then Petersburg and Frankfurt will play for the section title next Friday at Moorfield. Again, why? I have no idea. I have yet, I have yet to hear a good reason as to why this was even considered, let alone voted on and put in place. I don't know why they did it. Maybe there's a good reason. I just don't know what it is. I mean, you play section games. You keep track of section records to determine who gets to play at home. That's the advantage of winning your section. You actually get to host games. It's a little thing we like to call home court advantage, which is a real thing. We heard Danny Alkire last segment talk about the Hampshire boys getting the very important home court advantage in the section playoffs. You want to play at home. You want, and I understand, you know, the fans are limited this year, but you still want teams to come to you and play. There's a comfort level in your own gym. There's a comfort level of getting ready in your own locker room, shooting on your own baskets, not having to get on a bus and travel somewhere because those bus rides are brutal. For those of you who haven't been on a school bus in a while, they're not fun. So why Frankfurt, the girls? And believe me, I know, look, I know I coach at Frankfurt. I, I, look, I, you, I'm a little bit biased. I get it. But I would be saying this about any anybody. I would be saying this if Petersburg was number one or Moorfield was number one. Because the whole thing just doesn't make any sense to me. Why Frankfurt, after finishing first in the section, has to get on a bus and travel to either Moorfield or Petersburg to be the quote-unquote home team is really just beyond me. And quite frankly, one of the dumbest things I've ever seen or heard of when it comes to stuff like this. Not to mention that Frankfurt will have a much longer bus ride to get to this quote-unquote neutral site than either Petersburg or Moorfield. They will have like a 15-minute ride. As opposed to, what is it, 40, 45 minutes, something like that? I don't understand why it was done this way. I, I really don't. I don't understand, and, and again, you can choose to not believe me. I, I don't care if you do or not, because I would say this about any team in that situation. I've yet, I don't understand why they did it, why they chose to have the section title game at a neutral site. I don't, I can't figure it out. Was it, was it a, a pandemic reason? A safety reason? You got me. Now, on the other side of the region, uh, Trinity is the top seed. 
followed by Braxton County, South Harrison, and Notre Dame. So again, just like in AAA, when you have the four teams in the section, the top seed has to play a semifinal game. So Trinity will host Notre Dame, Braxton will host South Harrison, and then we go on from there. Now, when it comes to the region co-finals, there won't be any of this neutral site garbage. The Section 1 champ, either Frankfurt, Petersburg, or Moorfield, will host the loser of the Section 2 title game for a chance to go to the state tournament. The loser of that Section 1 title game will hit the road to play the Section 2 champion, again, with a spot in Charleston on the line. So when it comes to the region co-finals, you get home court advantage. When it comes to just this section, this one section, there's a neutral site. <laughs> I just, I don't get it. I don't get it. It's kind of like I was saying yesterday, when you look at these sections and, and, and these regions, that the coaches still vote on where teams fall in the sections, and there's a vote that's held. That's what records are for. That's why you keep track of wins and losses. If you have the best record in your section, you're the number one team in the section. If you have the second best record, you're number two. Why is that so? Why do we make things more difficult than they actually are? If you're the number one team in a section, you get to host the section title game. In a neutral site, you don't, if, if you're good enough, if you earned the top seed, you shouldn't have to get on a bus and go anywhere. That's, that's the advantage of playing hard and winning your games and finishing first. Now, I know football does it for the title games, but that's different. Super Bowl, even the state state title game in football. I know you go they, they go to Wheeling Island. That's different when you're talking about a title game. You want to have an, uh, uh, an even playing field. You know, even the state tournaments in basketball, they're, they're at a, a neutral site because you want it to be even across the board. But all the way up to that point, if you have a better record, you should be playing at home. That's the whole point of keeping track of wins and losses. <laughs> Never ceases to amaze me how sometimes when we deal with things like this, we just take common sense and chuck it out the window. You say you won most of your games, you say you finished first in your section. And you want to play at home? <laughs> Get on the bus, Gus. It's stupid. All right, one final break. Come back to wrap things up. Stick around. Cumberland's ESPN Radio. This is the Morning Rush. So I was on the socials, as I usually am during the break, trying to find out, you know, any late breaking headlines or whatever. And usually if you're on the Book of Faces, you'll, you'll get the memories, right? Like things that are posted, like, like it's like this day in history. This day in Facebook history. You posted this, you posted that, whatever. Come across this post 
wasn't for me, for some from somebody else. Back when my boy was a freshman in high school. And he and some classmates, they were pages at the West Virginia Capitol building with the House of Delegates down in Charleston. It was four years ago. And I kind of shared that memory. And I put there, I can't believe, I really, they're graduating in a month and a half. Like that four years, just, man, just flew by. Like I can't wrap my mind around it. And I look at these pictures and how young they look. They look like babies. They're babies. Freshmen in high school. Now they're graduating in a month and a half. And the more I think about it, the more I, I just, it's just hard. There should be like a a, a, su- a support group for this kind of stuff. And you got, <laughs> you got a child graduating high school, going off to college. There should be like a support group that meets once a week just to deal with it. Like I can't even fathom, you know, when my boy moves out and goes to college. Anyway. Uh, 85th edition of the Masters is underway. It's early. Right now you have eight guys on the course. Uh, Hudson Swafford, Sandy Lyle, and Matt Jones all tied at one under. Uh, Swafford uh, threw three. Lyle and Jones threw two. Michael Thompson threw three. He is even, as is uh, Jim Herman and Stuart Sink. Ian Woosnam plus one right now in uh, Dylan Fratelli. Uh, plus two through two. Again, just underway uh, at the Masters. We'll have more on the Masters, of course, during uh, tomorrow's show. Before we get out of here, let's check on the player who delivered, brought to you by All Seasons Landscaping and Supply Yard. How about this guy? Nelson's 17th pitch. And it's swung on, lifted to center field. That's by Taylor. And the A's have cashed in their first win of 2021. Mitch Moreland with a clean single to right center. He scores Marquetta. The A's come all the way back. They beat the Dodgers 4-3. And finally, elation, handshakes, and smiles for the Athletics as they get their first victory of 2021. The call on the A's radio network, Oakland's Mitch Moreland. He played for the Pirates, didn't he, for a, a brief time? RBI single in the 10th, as you heard the man say, gave the A's a 4-3 walk-off win over the Dodgers, their first victory of the season. Thank goodness for the A's, or else the Pirates would definitely be the worst team in baseball right now. The A's, the only team with a worse run differential than Pittsburgh. But they have a victory. So Mitch Moreland, our player who delivered... Uh, honorable mention goes to the Orioles' Anthony Santander, who gunned down a Yankee at the plate in the bottom of the 11th. It was a, uh, He caught the fly ball, tried to tag up, double play. It was a 9-2 double play to end the game to give the Orioles the win and avoid this sweep. So honorable mention goes to Anthony Santander. But Oakland's Mitch Moreland. The single to give the A's their first win of the year. The player who delivered, uh, brought to you by All Seasons Landscaping and Supply Yard. Now, I mentioned earlier in the show, just in case you weren't around, uh, Maryland and head coach uh, Mark Turgeon agreed to a contract extension that will keep Turge with the Terps 
through the 2025-26 season. The deal includes what the university called revised financial terms. Now, Turgeon was previously extended through 2023 back in 2016 when the Terps made a run to the Sweet 16. This season, look, it got off to a rough start. They lost Anthony Cowan Jr. to graduation. They lost Jalen Smith to the NBA. Got off to a bumpy start, but they turned it around. Right, Terps, they finished strong down the stretch. They've made the NCAA tournament to reach the second round before losing to uh, Alabama. And so Maryland rewarded Turgeon for the job well done. Their appearance in the big dance, fifth in 10 seasons under Turgeon. And look, he, he recently landed two pretty big transfers. Uh, they got the center, uh, Kudis Wahab from Georgetown. And point guard Fats Russell from Rhode Island. And both can play. Fats led Rhode Island at 14.7 points a game. Four and a half assists a game this past season. A Wahab averaged just over 12 and a half points and eight rebounds a game for Georgetown. He also shot 59% from the floor. So things definitely looking up for Turgeon and the Terps. Uh, heading into the offseason. Can't say the same for Arizona coach Sean Miller, who was relieved of his duties yesterday after 12 seasons with the Wildcats. Here's ESPN's Jeff Borzello. Arizona could go a couple of different directions with this. They could opt to go or to do what Indiana and North Carolina have done over the past couple of weeks and keep it in the family. And there's going to be a lot of support to do that. And a couple of names from that category would be Damon Stoudemire, the head coach at Pacific, Josh Pastner, who did a tremendous job this year at Georgia Tech, Miles Simon, Los Angeles Lakers assistant, and a wild card like Luke Walton, Sacramento Kings head coach, um, you know, having a bit of a down year there. And, you know, would he be tempted to go back to his alma mater? I think it's probably worth a call. Arizona, but the most recent buzz surrounds someone from outside the family. Longtime Gonzaga assistant coach Tommy Lloyd, elite international recruiter, has helped Mark Few build that program over the last 20 years. He's turned down a lot of head coaching opportunities in the past, but Arizona, like I said before, is kind of a different level of a job. And, you know, his overseas ties could be important for a roster that includes six or seven international players to kind of keep that roster together uh, moving forward. So there's Jeff with a uh, list of potential replacements for Miller, who again was at Arizona for 12 seasons. And they have been under federal investigation since 2017 for violations. Corruption in college basketball, if you will. And one source told ESPN that Arizona, they're actually considering giving Miller a contract extension. But the Board of Regents will not approve it because of the ongoing NCAA issues. So uh, Sean Miller out as head coach at Arizona once again after 12 years. He'll land somewhere else where I don't know but he won't be unemployed uh, very long. All right, that's it. We're done. Show's over. Stick around. Last hour of KJZ coming up next. Enjoy the rest of your day. Thanks for listening. I appreciate you as always. And we'll see you back here tomorrow for a funky Friday, 7 a.m. sharp. This is the Morning Rush. I am Tony C. And I am done. Ah, I see ya.